Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and let's go to Mark chapter number 14 this morning, the book of Mark and chapter 14. Mark and chapter 14. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you do not, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. Mark chapter 14 this morning. And we're going to find our place here, verse number 27. And we're going to read down to verse number 32. Mark chapter 20, 14, verse number 40, 27 to verse number 32. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 14 this morning, verse number 27. While you're standing, what do you do when you get afraid? What do you do when something frightens you? People have different responses to fear. Some respond to fear with flight. They, they choose to run away. And some respond to fear with fight. Instead of running from the problem, they like to run to the problem. Do you know which one you are? What do you do when you are afraid? I don't find myself in fearful situations very often, but this is one. Was sitting in the office, heard some commotion. In the middle of the afternoon, I was busily at work. Out of the corner of my eye, after I heard some noise, I kind of caught my attention. Corner of my eye, I saw something dart across the office. Wasn't a robber, wasn't a burglar, something much worse than any of those things was a mouse. <laughs> I did what any normal person in that, in that position would do. I screamed as loud as I possibly could. Put my feet up on the chair and started yelling for Derek. Derek, come get this mouse out of my office. It was my response to fear. I don't know what you would have done, but that's what I did. We all respond differently to fear. Some people freeze. Some people run towards. Some people lash out. The disciples find themselves in a fearful situation. Look at verse 14, or, or chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Everybody else might run away, but not me. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. And likewise, also said they all. 
And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. He saith unto his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives. Strengthen us for what we do not know, but you do know. Help us to respond, not with fear and confusion, but rather with commitment and courage to the way in which you are leading our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray, and all the church said together, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Every single day, you and I are confronted with choices, with circumstances that can be that can be scary, they can be terrifying, they can be difficult. And the question really is not, will we find ourselves in difficult situations? The question really is, how will we respond when we find ourselves in such situations? This passage gives us an incredible picture. It's, an, it's a picture of two ways to respond. The contrast is really seen between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus responds with commitment. Jesus responds to a terrifying situation with courage. The disciples respond with confusion, with with chaos, with, with really kind of an overestimation. We won't have time this week, but maybe next week we'll get to this point. Jesus is telling the disciples, here is what you will do. And Peter is saying, no, everybody else may do that, but not me. Peter, like us, oftentimes, he overestimates his own self. You ever find yourself saying something or thinking something like, I would never do fill in the blank. That's what Peter is doing here. I would never fill in the blank. I would never say that. I would never do that. I would never go there. I would never treat them like they just treated me. And oftentimes, man, this is just a lack of our own spiritual self-awareness. It's really an indicator of pride. That's really what Peter has. He overestimates himself. And then verse number 30, he underestimates the Lord. The Lord is saying, no, Peter, this is what you, this is what you specifically will do. And Peter goes, the more vehemently, verse 31. No, no, no. Everyone else may run, but not me. Peter, the Lord says, no, this is specifically what you will do. And Peter says, I will die with you before I will deny you. And then they all say this with their own pride. Oftentimes what keeps us from responding correctly in fearful or difficult situations is our pride. We'll see that next week. But before we get to that, notice this. Just by, 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 by way of, of, of the positive rather than the negative, notice how Jesus responds here. Jesus responds to this difficult situation, facing the cross, being crucified, and then in his eventual resurrection. Jesus responds really in two ways. Jesus responds first with knowledge, and then he responds second with power. These are the two points for today. He responds first with knowledge. Look at, look at verse number 27. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. 
So the disciples do not know the future. They do not know what is coming. And even what Jesus had told them was coming. They're they're really not sure about. You'll be reminded all the way through the study of the book of Mark, Jesus has been telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. The Son of Man is going to lay down his life but I will pick it up again. I will rise. I will see you on the other side. And yet they have, they're deciding to not listen. So they do not know what is coming, even though Jesus has told them. Notice what he says in verse number 27. This is what's going to happen this night. You will be offended of me. Notice the verse. Be, because of me this Night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And Jesus here is referencing an Old Testament prophecy. The, the prophet Zechariah in chapter number 13 had given this verse. He had prophesied that there will come a time when the shepherd will be struck down. And when the shepherd is struck down, all of the sheep will scatter. They will they will run away. And Jesus is taking this prophecy from Zechariah and he's applying it to himself. He is saying, I am that shepherd that will be struck down. I am that shepherd that will die. I am that shepherd which will suffer at the hands of sinful men by the will of God. And you are the sheep. He's saying to the disciples, You are the sheep, I am the shepherd, I'm going to die, and you are going to be scattered. In this moment, he's he's saying, you're going to be afraid because of what is going to happen to me. But he's trying to infuse confidence to the disciples by making them aware of what is going to happen. So notice a couple of things about the knowledge of Jesus. Notice first, he knew the disciples would scatter. He knew the disciples would scatter. He's already told them this. He's already declared that he himself is the good shepherd who lays his life down for sheep, for us. All we, like sheep, had gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. So the Lord laid on him, on Jesus. God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And Jesus is now telling them, this is exactly what the Old Testament prophets have been prophesying about. So you do not need to be afraid because this is what I came to do. Yet Jesus recognizes the disciples, their fear. And he tells them, you're going to be caught in the trap of fear. You're going to be lured into the sin of unfaithfulness by by fear of persecution. You're going to leave me. You're going to deny me. The pressure is going to get turned up and you're going to turn away. And isn't that exactly what happened? That the inseparable 11 when the pressure was turned up separated and what you're seeing in this passage as the disciples will eventually run we'll see that in the weeks to come the disciples will run away when Judas enters the garden with the kiss when they shackle and chain Jesus Christ when they lead him away with a 
troop of Roman soldiers, the disciples will run in fear. But what you are seeing in contrast to their fear is the amazing courage of Christ. Christ has a courage that is beyond any normal man, although Christ is a normal man. Christ's courage allows him to bear the hatred of the watching world. Christ's courage allows him to, to take to his body the pain of the cross, the indignity of the crucifixion, the betrayal of trusted uh, of, of trusted friends. He receives the betrayer's kiss. He does all of this even facing death on the cross because he courageously takes sin willingly. Christ has the courage to willingly take the sin of men who betrayed him in his darkest hour. And you and I must ask ourselves, where does Christ have this kind of courage? How does he have this kind of knowledge? And of course, the answer is the word of God. Christ is holding to the word. He's claiming the, prob the prophecy of Zechariah. And in claiming this prophecy, in holding to the word, it is giving him courage. He is saying, God has spoken. This is what must happen. I will be struck down. You will be scattered. But I'll see you again on the other side. Fear is our most natural response to difficulties. We don't have time this morning to talk about all the reasons why we might be afraid. But just, just suffice it to say that we all have a variety of reasons for why we are afraid. So how do we overcome our fear? And some would say, well, just be courageous. Just don't think about being afraid. It's this kind of self-talk. Stop focusing on the bad and just start thinking about the good. Well, that is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not just think more about the good and less about the bad, because I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my own life, the more I try to not think about what might happen, the more I find myself thinking about what might happen. The more I tell myself, don't think about that, don't think about that, don't think about that, don't think, the more... I think about it. So the Bible's answer is never just bury it, just hide it, just cover it up, just push it down, just push it away. No, the Bible's answer to whatever fear we may be facing is take that issue, that concern, that worry, that fear, that doubt, and bring it to the word of God. Hold it up in light of God's word. Take courage in light of the scriptures. This is truly what it means to have faith in God. To have faith in God is to take the very real and present threats and concerns that we feel and bring them to God through his word. So Christian courage is a courage that is fueled by faith faith in the word of God. Here is what God has said. Here, is, here are the ways in which God has bound himself, that God has obligated himself to his word. And so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be given to a spirit of fear. Why? 
because we're really strong and we're all really courageous and we gave ourselves some kind of spiritual pep talk? No. But because God's word is good and God is good for his word. Courage, Christian courage is fueled by faith in the word of God. The disciples have no idea what is awaiting them. They have no idea what is coming, despite the fact that Jesus has told them this. And yet, Christ, in contrast to them, is one who is full of resolve and commitment and courage because he's claiming the promises of the word. He is saying, God has already spoken this. I will be struck down. You will be scattered, but I'll see you again on the other side. So notice the knowledge of Jesus. He knew the disciples would scatter. Notice second, he knew that his death was from his father. So, so look what happens. Here's what he says. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be Scattered. I, I want you to notice very carefully that word I. It's a personal pronoun. I will smite. I will strike down the shepherd. So we have to ask ourselves, who is the I that's doing the striking? Who is the one that is casting down? And the answer is God himself. So if you read the phrase, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, and you ask, who is I? The answer is God. It's God will strike down the good shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. God himself, God himself is the one who will do this to Christ. This is what Paul is asking in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say then of these things? That if God is for us, well then, who can be against us? That's a great verse. It's reminding us that God's on our side. But how do we know that God is on our side? Well, finish out the rest of that verse. How do we know that he is with us? Well, he did not spare his own son but he gave him up for us all. So there it is, that God the Father did not spare his own son, but he gave up his own son for us all. So who is the one doing the striking? It's none other than God himself. The Father is not coercing Jesus into a sacrifice. No, we've already talked about this. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. But also the Son, Jesus, is not trying to get from God an unwilling provision for salvation. It's not as if God is not willing to save. No, God will gladly save all those who believe the one doing the striking is the Father. This is what drives Paul then in Romans chapter 11 to say, who hath known the mind of the Lord? 
In other words, this is so, this is so deep. The amazing love of God is so deep and, and incomprehensible that Jesus gladly, willingly is laying himself down as our shepherd, providing a way for sheep to be with God. But God is gladly and willingly striking down his own son for us, for us all. Amazing love, the songwriter puts it. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? The point is very simple. The point is simply this, that Jesus knew the future. He knew what was going to happen. How did he know it? He knew it because he understood the word of God. Our Christian courage is increased when we put our faith, not in ourselves, but in the word. And our Christian courage is increased when we remind ourselves that God is at work even in the most difficult of circumstances that we find ourselves in. There's a great verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. In fact, I want you to go look at it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29. So Deuteronomy is the Old Testament. You've got to go all the way forward in your Bible. Genesis, that's the first book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's the fifth book in from the front. Deuteronomy in chapter 29. Look at verse 29. This is a great verse. Look what it says. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Bible reads like this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do or follow, that's the word do, that we may follow all the words of this law. So you notice what the writer of Deuteronomy is saying. He is saying life can be divided up in two parts. And here are the two parts of life. There are things that God has kept secret and there are things that God has revealed. There are things that God has kept secret. You don't know, I don't know, none of us know, we don't understand. But there are also things that God has revealed, that he has spoken, that he has entrusted to us. So life is divided up in two things, the things that you do know and the things that you do not know. The secret things. How, how many of you readily admit this morning, there are some things in life that I just don't know. There will be things that come into your life that do not make sense to you. They baffle you. They confuse you. You cannot work them out. You cannot figure them out. You cannot get to the bottom of them. And they, those secret things will tempt you to despair. You don't have to be afraid of saying, I do not know. It's a part, it's not a part of Christian faith to pretend like you have an answer to every question. Christian faith gladly bows down at the mystery that God has chosen to keep from us. Which is why we need Deuteronomy 29. We need to be reminded that sometimes in our life there are some things that we face that we just don't know the answer to. So what do we do with those things? 
You take those things and you put them in the Deuteronomy 29.29 file. You open up the file and you put that there and you close it and you say, some things are secret. I just don't know. His ways are far above my ways. His thoughts are far above my thoughts. I can't understand why God has chosen to do all that he has. But it doesn't, it doesn't unsettle the faith that I have in his word. Christian faith at times is willing to live with unanswered questions. Things that will only ever be answered in eternity. There are some things in this life that you and I just do not know. Why did this happen to me? Why did she get sick? Why did they have to go? Why did... Some things are secret to God. So there are some things we don't know, but, but there's, a, there's a second category. And here's the second category. There are some things we do know. And that's what he says. God has revealed these things. Notice, those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children that we may follow, we may do all the words of this law. In other words, some things you don't know, but there's a whole lot of things that you do know. Well, where are the things that we do know? Where are the things that God has revealed? Well, he answers it at the end of that verse because he says, all the words of this law. In other words, all of the word of God. The word of God contains for us the things that God has revealed to us. And so while faith, Christian faith, happily bows before the mystery that God has chosen to keep some things hidden, Christian faith also stands on the things that God has already revealed. The, the word of God has been revealed by God for us. And the Apostle Peter says that the book, the word of God, contains everything necessary for life and godliness. Not everything that you may possibly want to know, but everything that's necessary for you to know is found in this book. So how is it that Jesus is able to respond to this situation with steadfastness, with Christian courage, with, with resolve, with endurance, how is it that he responds in this way? First, his knowledge. Where does he get his knowledge? He gets his knowledge from the word of God. From the things that God has already revealed. And what he is trying to teach the disciples is to hold on to the word of God. By the way, church, I just remind you, this is why we preach the Bible the way that we preach the Bible here at First Baptist Church. We like to go next chapter, next verse. Do you know why? Because this book right here has all the answers. Has everything that we need to navigate our circumstances, to know how we ought to live, to know what we ought to do, to know how we ought to treat our neighbors. This book and this book alone has the answer. No man has all the answers. Man has opinion, but God has the answers. And by the way, 
where our opinions stand in contradiction to the word, it is not the word that needs to be changed, it's our opinion that needs to be changed. We should be submitting our opinion to the word of God. You want to respond to this life, the unknown things of this life? You want to be able to respond with Christian courage? Fill your heart and your mind with the word of God. Recognize there are some things in life that God has just chosen to keep to himself because he's God. But there are lots of things that God has revealed to us in his word. And so let us set ourselves to be obedient to the word of God. Jesus can respond with Christian courage because of his knowledge. But second thought here, Jesus responds with power. Notice what he says. Look at verse 28. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. You hear what Jesus says? Jesus says, God will strike the shepherd. The sheep will scatter. God is in full control. You can trust him. You will run. You'll be afraid. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Do not respond with fear. Respond with faith. And he says this third thought, verse 28. I'll see you again. And after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. The power of Jesus. You know, sometimes the reason why we struggle with the parts of God's will that are unknown to us is because we like to think that we are in control. We like to pretend that we have the power. And when we come across situations in our life that remind us we're not in control, we're not calling the shots. We don't like that. We don't like to feel weak. We don't like to feel dependent. In fact, we kind of pride ourselves on being independent, on being self-sufficient. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I don't need anybody to help me. You, th th these were characteristics that, that started forming in you at a very young age. Your mom would say, let me help you put on your shoes. And you went, I'll do it by myself. And you know what you did? You put, the, you put the wrong shoes on the wrong feet. That's what you did. And you had your toes coming out of the side of the sandal, not even the front of the sandal. But you, you just had to do it yourself. And so you start real little. No, I don't want anybody to feed me. I can get it, I can get it to my mouth myself. And where does the spoon end up? Nine out of ten times, not in the mouth. The forehead, the hair, the table, your parents, the floor, the dog. One out of every ten bites making it to the mouth, right? We love to think that we're in control. We love to think that we are doing this on our own. And so when we find ourselves in situations that remind us you're not in control. We don't like that. We don't like that feeling of dependency. We don't like that feeling of weakness. 
But can I tell you this? While we may not like feelings of weakness, God is attracted to weakness. In fact, the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Sometimes in difficult situations, the best thing we can ask, the best thing we can do, the best thing we can say is, I don't know, but I'm trusting God. And will you help? I don't know. I'm trusting God. I could use some help. This is how we respond with Christian courage. It doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make you less of a Christian. It doesn't make you less of an individual to say, hey, I need some help. I don't know exactly how to think about this. I don't know exactly how to handle that. I don't know exactly how to process these things. And when we find ourselves asking for help from the Lord, we find help through his, through his word. From the Lord, we find help through his spirit speaking to our hearts. But can I tell you this? These aren't the only two ways that God has given us help. There's a third way, and this is a great way. The third way God has given us help is God has given us one another who help us in this life. God has given us a local New Testament church to offer help But oftentimes we are like the disciples. We choose instead of listening to the word of God, we, we overestimate ourselves. I, I, I don't need help. I've got this. Everybody else, yeah, they need help, but not me. Everybody else may run, but not me. Jesus has the power to help you with what you need. Jesus has the knowledge. Jesus has the power. Notice two things about his power here. First, his power has been declared. His power has been declared. Here's what he says. Look what he says. He says, verse number 28, but after that I am risen. His power is declared. He's, he's stating it. This is what I'm going to do. I am going to rise. I'm going to be resurrected. God is striking me down. You are going to be scattered, but I will see you again. He is declaring his power. He is declaring his resurrection. He is stating, in fact, again, what he's going to do. This is actually a little bit of encouragement because Jesus has been telling the disciples this over and over and over and over again. And Jesus, right, he's the greatest teacher. The Bible says no man spoke like Jesus spoke. There was never anybody to preach like Jesus preached. Your, great, your, your most favorite preacher couldn't hold a candle to Jesus, right? 
And even the greatest preacher, the greatest prophet, the greatest miracle worker, all this teaching, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, I'll see you again. Even there, they, just, they didn't get it. It went right over their heads. You ever, you ever feel like you just keep telling your kids the same thing over and over and over and it just goes right over their heads, right? Good news. That's, it's, that's not, even Jesus, when he was talking to his followers, it went right over their heads. They didn't get it. And sometimes that's what we do. We, we get frustrated. Oh, I got to tell you again, stop doing that, right? Oh, you mean stop doing, yes, that, stop it, right? Jesus declares his power. Second, his power is displayed. Look, look he's, he's displaying his power. He's not just saying it. I will go before you into Galilee. And thank God that the striking of the shepherd, the scattering of the sheep, even though you and I, even though we fail, even though we falter, even though we run, there can be a reunion with Christ. This is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that the risen Christ is gathering his scattered sheep those who have fallen to temptation, you can come to him. Those who have responded in fear or confusion, you can come to him. Those who have frozen in fear, you can come to him. You can come to the risen Lord. You do not have to be afraid to come to Jesus. Why? Because he knows you, he loves you, he cares for you. He does not give up on you. This is one of my, my, one of my favorite moments in the, at, the, at the resurrection of Jesus. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter. I'm going to meet him in Galilee, just like I told him. You ever, you ever thought of that statement? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why does he say, and Peter? Not Thomas, not John, not James. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Well, here's why. Because Peter, like us, would have been tempted to think, well, he probably wants to see everyone but me. Because I... I said I wouldn't deny and everybody else would. And I said I would die with him even if everyone else denied him. And they all scattered and I was there and I followed. And across the courtyard they walked him and across the courtyard I denied him. You know how easy it would have been for Peter to sit down and just take all this sense of failure and insecurity and frustration and fear and think that God Christ, the risen Savior, would not want to see him, everybody but him. And so he gives this word of encouragement, tell the disciples and Peter. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me. There is no failure that has to keep you from Christ. He loves you he cares for you. He knows you. He has a knowledge of you. He has the power to help you. All you and I must do is respond to him and his word in faith. This is where we find the courage we need to navigate the circumstances and situations of our lives.